It's good to have you here this morning, and I'm excited. We're going to start a new sermon series today, and it's titled The Upside Down Kingdom. Uh, during this Christmas season, if you were here with us, our theme and our title of, of our sermon series was Here Comes Heaven, Our Promised Messiah. And what we were doing is we were celebrating the fact that in this little baby that was lying in the manger, heaven indeed was breaking into our world to redeem our broken world. And that was our celebration. And it's something we don't just celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate it every Sunday of the year, every day of the year. What a wonderful truth that is. You know, it's such an important part of the gospel that Jesus has come to reconcile sinners like you and I to God. It's such an important part of our gospel, and we really emphasize that during the Christmas season, too. And, but I want you to see, and I've tried over the years to emphasize, as, as important as that part of the gospel is, it's only a part of the gospel. You see, the good, there's more good news to the good news. It's bigger than just the individual salvation of individual sinners. It's grander. It's, it's, it's so epic. And we're going to talk about that this morning. You see, the, the good news, the gospel that Jesus preached was this. If you were to sum up his message, this was his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the gospel Jesus preached. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus mentions the kingdom of God over 50 times. This was his gospel. Now, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? When we hear that, like, what should we think of? Is it just this some spiritual just kind of thing? No. The kingdom of God, when you think of it, is, is like, in some ways, it's like the kingdoms of the world. There's a king, right? There are a people, subjects to the kingdom. There's a territory of the kingdom. And there is a law to the kingdom. The way that life is governed and, and done in the kingdom. You see, the kingdom of God is the same way. There's a king, there's a people, there's a territory, and there is a law. And so when Jesus, he comes onto the scene and starts preaching the kingdom of God is at hand, repents, believe the good news, what Jesus was saying was that God was breaking into our world in such a special way to establish his king, to establish his territory on earth as it is in heaven, to establish a new law and to create a new people for himself. And that's why Jesus, when he starts his public ministry, the first sermon that he preaches is the Sermon on the Mount in which he details life in this kingdom of God that had broken in through him since he was the king. 
Now, I want you to know that this was such a significant claim that Jesus was making. You got to hear this. Because in the context in which he was declaring this gospel, this good news, guess who was believed to be Lord? Guess who was believed to be king? Guess who was believed to be the son of God? Guess who was believed to, to be the king of the kingdom that would bring justice and peace to the earth? It was Caesar, the Roman emperor. He was worshipped as the son of God. He was considered to be Lord of the world. It was his rule and reign that was going to bring justice and peace. You've got to see that Jesus' command or uh, message, this gospel, it was extremely subversive. It was undermining the authority of Caesar. It was also undermining, undermining the authority of the Jewish religious leaders who had the power over the Jewish people. Jesus was coming onto the scene, and he was saying, I am Lord and Caesar is not. I am in charge of the Jewish people, not the Jewish religious leaders. My kingdom is going to engulf the world. I'm going to create a new people for myself, and I'm going to create a new law. Jesus was talking about world domination. No wonder he was a hunted man. No wonder the Jewish religious leaders wanted to kill him. No wonder the Romans wanted to kill him. He was talking about world domination. And these powerful people didn't want to lose their power. And so what we're going to do is we're going <coughs> to take a look at Jesus' famous sermon. And we're going to see that his kingdom is different than the kingdom of the world. Although there is continuity between his kingdom and the kingdoms of the world in terms of a, a king, a territory, a law, and a people, there is discontinuity as well. And we're going to see how Jesus' kingdom is really upside down compared to the kingdoms of the world. So let's pray, and then we're going to check out this message, this message that has totally reshaped the world. I mean, this message, has, I mean, there's been so much written on this message. It, it's phenomenal. In fact, it's the message that when I first became a Christian, I was reading it, and I was just like, yes, yes, yes. If people live this way, oh, my goodness, yes, this makes so much sense. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that you are in our midst and that you love us and that you came not to just save us from our sin, but to establish a whole new world order in which your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray that we would have a, a, a good understanding of the ways of your kingdom so that we may be a part of it and so that we may live in alignment with it. And as a result, be used by you to bring a whole bunch of light to a dark world. You are a teacher, Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and minds. Change us, transform us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. 
Amen. All right. So, Dave read these, the, the first words of the Sermon on the Mount, right? And I thought I should sit down and teach because this is how Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, right? And it's an acoustic Sunday. Laid back, right? Let me, let me read these words again in Matthew 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he, seated, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those are the verses I'm going to talk to this uh, talk about this morning. I was going to talk about the, the remainder of the passage that was read earlier, but there's just so much good right right here. So we're going we're going to hone in on these verses. So immediately, just with these first words of Jesus, we start to see the upside downness of his kingdom, right? According to Jesus, those who are poor, those who are sad, those who are low, those who are hungry, those are the ones that are blessed, right? What is Jesus saying? Especially just look at the first statement. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does Jesus mean here? The world has never considered any kind of poverty a blessing, right? So how is Jesus saying happy are those who are unhappy? Sad are those, or happy those are sad. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Well, what Jesus is telling us is there's a particular type of poverty that actually is a blessing, There's a type of poverty that actually leads to riches. Again, this is upside down, right? And the poverty that Jesus is speaking of is this poverty of the spirit. So what does Jesus mean? What is the poverty, what does it mean to be poor in spirits? Now, all the commentators that I I read, I read about five or six of them as I prepared this, this sermon, they've all said that Jesus was, uh, what he he had in view here was that poor in spirit means an attitude that there's nothing I can do to earn God's favor. That I am spiritually bankrupt. I am a sinner. I am under the holy wrath of God, deserving his just punishment. And I am powerless to change my status. That's what Jesus had in view here. And what Jesus is saying, if you are going to acquire the gift of the kingdom, if you're going to be a part of his new kingdom people, if you're going to, you know, rule with him, if you are going to have him as a king, if you are going to live by his law, the only requirement that is necessary is that you come to Jesus poor in spirit, that you come to him. And recognize that you're utterly dependent upon his grace to be a part of his kingdom. Because you don't deserve it and you certainly can't earn it. And this is so opposed to the kingdom of the world, isn't it? Because the kingdom of the world says, assert yourself. Earn it. Work for it. The kingdom of the world is all about self-determination, self-confidence, self-achievement, self-control, self-earning. And Jesus says, that's not going to work. Perhaps 
you've heard people say that Christianity is a crutch. Have you ever heard anybody say that? And what they're saying, the critic that says Christianity is only for weak, broken people, what they're saying is, I'm not weak. I am strong. I am self-reliant. I don't need it, thank you very much. Christianity is a crutch. It's for weak people, and I'm not weak. This is the attitude of those who belong to the world. There's another self-reliant attitude that is ripe in our culture, and it is this. You know, I'm not perfect, but I've done a lot of good in my life. And I think when I stand before God, if there is a God, he'll say, you know what? You've been good enough. Enter into my kingdom. There are a lot of people that believe this. It's another way of them saying, you know, I think I've been good enough to be my own savior. I think I've been good enough that I've earned it. Jesus is saying, my kingdom belongs to those who are willing to admit that they are deeply flawed, that they are deeply broken, and that they are utterly dependent upon God's grace to experience his kingdom. Touch the sky. My heart beating, my soul breathing, found my life when I laid it down. Upward falling, spirit soaring, I touched the sky. When my knees hit the ground. In God's kingdom, the way up is down. Right? So, Jesus' gospel is a message of comfort and challenge. Why is it a message of comfort? Because you don't have to be beautiful. You don't have to be intelligent. You don't have to be super, you know, skilled to enter into his kingdom, to be accepted in his kingdom. You have to be that in the world. If doors are going to open for you, if you're going to get into places, you've got to be that. Not, not in God's kingdom. So that's a comfort, right? Because most of us are just average Joes. That's why it's called average, and that's why there's a bell curve, and, right? But it's a challenge. It's a challenge to prideful people. Look, if you don't surrender, if your knees don't hit the ground before Jesus, if you don't come in humility and brokenness, if you don't acknowledge that and understand that you are desperately dependent on God's grace, you won't enter into the kingdom of God. Let's look at the next statement. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, this doesn't seem to make sense, right? Is Jesus, again, saying happy? Are those, you know, that are sad are really happy? Sort of. Most commentators agree that what Jesus is referring to is not a general mourning, but a specific type of mourning. A mourning over our sinful state. A mourning over the sin in the world. That's the guilt, you know, the guilt and the sorrow we feel over our sin. That's what the commentators believe that Jesus has in view when he says, blessed are those who mourn. You know, there are two types of repentance, and this is important. There is attrition and there is contrition. Attrition is repentance, 
motivated by the fear of punishment. That's what attrition is. Often our boys exhibit this sort of repentance, right? I promise I won't do it again. I promise. What they're saying is, please remove the punishment from me. I'm not really sorry that I hurt your heart, Dad. Please, I don't want the punishment. I won't do it again. Attrition is selfish repentance. It's not true repentance. The person isn't really sorry. They're sorry about the punishment. That's what they're sorry about, right? You know, uh, I heard Tim Keller in, in a sermon I listened to him or by him, and he said in his work with, with people that were struggling in their marriage, couples that were struggling in their marriage, he said, I got to the point where I could predict with some great accuracy which couples would actually make it. And the way that he was able to predict was how the couple that did most of the offending was responding Were they saying, oh, please, please, I'm sorry, don't leave me, don't leave me, I'm sorry, don't leave me? Or were they saying, you know what, I really hurt my spouse's heart, and I'm broken over that, and I've got to work to make this right. I am so sorry. See the difference? The spouse that is all about what they're going to lose, don't leave me, don't leave me, look at what I'm going to lose. That's, that's attrition. That is false repentance. Those are the couples that don't make it because it is selfish. Okay? Now, contrition, on the other hand, is real repentance. They're sorrowful over the heart that they have broken. They're, they're sorrowful over the hurt that they have caused the person they have offended. So, What Jesus is saying here is, blessed are those who mourn in the contrition kind of way. Where their heart is just broken over the hurt that they have caused God's heart and that they have caused the other people in their life. That's what it means to mourn. King David is a perfect example of a person that had this true repentance that is contrition. Psalm 51, 1 through 4 says this. This was after he had an affair with Bathsheba. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your love and kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Look at verse 4. Against you, you only, God, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. You see what David was saying was, look, God, you have loved me. And you gave me your way of life to live, and I have rebelled and rejected you. And even though you've showered me with countless blessings, I have spurned your love and and went and, and, and I have committed what is evil in your sight. I am so sorry. Look at what Psalm 51 later says here. 
David says this. He says in verse 14, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you, check this out, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. David was saying exactly what Jesus was preaching on that mountain. If we acknowledge our brokenness and come to God in true repentance, he will not despise us. He will forgive us. Not only that, he will work to eradicate our sinful behavior from our lives. Check out 1 John 1, 9. He, he makes this promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now we can see why those who really offer true repentance to God are comforted. You know why they're comforted? Because... The grace of God washes over them. The mercy of God washes over them. They have seen the depths of their sin, and yet they have seen that God's grace is deeper still. And that's why they're comforted. That's why they're happy. That's why the spiritual discipline of repentance is a wonderful thing. If we are regularly and consistently going before God and asking him to reveal the, the junk in our hearts, and then he shows us it, and then his grace washes over us, and then it empowers us to, to, to overcome those, habitu the, those habitual patterns, oh, what a joy. That's comfort. Can you see how flipped, upside down Jesus' kingdom is? Let's look at this uh, final statement, at least for, for this morning. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Look, this is what brokenness and true godly sorrow and repentance leads to, is meekness. Because if we recognize that we have received great grace from God, we're not gonna, we, we won't be able to help extending grace to other people. These things all, these beatitudes, they all build on one another. Meekness is often viewed as weakness, right? But it's not. Meekness is not weakness. It's probably best described as gentleness and humility. A meek person understands that they're so dependent upon God and they see all of the good in their life as a gracious gift from God and so they're living this life of gratitude and so they don't see themselves as better than others. They're not bold and brash and self-assertive. They don't live with this attitude of self-entitlement. They don't seek to impress other people. They're patient with other people's weaknesses because they know how broken that they, you know, are. They're self-controlled when it comes to anger. They don't fly off the handle. They don't try and force their agenda on God or other people. 
but rather they seek God's agenda. They don't repay evil with evil, but they trust that God is going to sort out any injustice that they experience. Meekness is this quiet and controlled strength that comes from being deeply grounded in the Father's love. That's what meekness is. Why are the meek blessed in God's kingdom? Because they will inherit the earth. They will inherit the world. This is so upside down compared to the world. The way to have power, the way to, to rule is to, you know, build your own brand. It's to impose your will. It's to command the room. It's to, you know, it's to promote yourself. Those are the people that succeed. Those are the people that win. Those are the people that get to enjoy the spoils of victory. God says, no, you know what's going to happen? The meek will inherit the earth. They will rule over the earth. And so we have seen, oh, you know what? I lied to you. One more. One more statement. So this will be quick. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, the righteousness that Jesus has in view here is godly conduct, a lifestyle that pleases God. Repentance, acknowledge their spiritual bankruptcy before God, have come to Jesus in true repentance, have been given an attitude of meekness. They're going to want to pursue righteousness. They're going to want to live in line with Jesus and his ways. This just all builds on one another. That's going to be the pursuit of their life. Not to earn God's favor, but because they already have it. And they want to express gratitude to God by obeying his commands. They won't be able to just sin and say, oh, well, now it'll bother them. And then they'll take it to Jesus, and they'll receive his power to overcome it. And they will be filled with righteousness. That's the blessing. They will become more righteous in their conduct. They're going to experience a deep soul satisfaction. They're going to experience renewal. They're going to experience everything that they truly need being added to their life. Jesus said in another place, seek my kingdom first and my righteousness and all the stuff that you need, this is my paraphrase, will be added to you. They're going to find victory over those persistent sins. You see, the, the, the way of the world says, you know what? Happy, you know, to find happiness, fulfill all your passions, fulfill all your desires, however you see fit. But we know, at least us Jesus people should know, that this is the fastest path to bondage. Right? So, let's review here. The kingdom of the world is different in many, many ways than the kingdom of God. In God's upside-down kingdom, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed because the kingdom is theirs. They are comforted. They will inherit the earth, and they are filled. So I ask you this morning, and before I ask you these questions, 
We have learned, haven't we? Who are the subjects of God's kingdom? Those who have come to Jesus in repentance and faith. What is the territory of God's kingdom? The whole earth. What is the law of God's kingdom? Well, we're starting to get there, but it's a law of love. Love for God and love for others. We'll talk about that more in upcoming weeks. Who is the king? King Jesus. Let me tell you a little bit about this king. Just as the king, God's kingdom is so different than the kingdom of the world, the king of this kingdom is so different than the king of the world. You see, the king of this kingdom, Jesus, he perfectly embodied what we're talking about here. Jesus, he wasn't spiritually bankrupt because he was without sin, but he depended upon God the Father in every way. Jesus, he mourned over sin, not his own, but he mourned over your sin and the sin in the world. We see him weeping over Jerusalem because this city will not receive him. Jesus was meek. He himself said, you know, I am lowly in spirit. He didn't force his agenda. He was submitted to God's agenda. Jesus embodied all these things. And the crazy part is this king comes and he dies and he gives it all for his subjects. What king in any kingdom of the world does that? It's upside down. Uh, One person says it's actually right side up. Like this is the right way, right? And so I asked you this morning. Here's the first question. Have you come to Jesus in repentance and faith? Have you entered into the kingdom by that door? Because it's the only door by which you can enter the kingdom of God. There are a lot of people that will attend church for decades and not make that commitment. Not come humbly before Jesus. Have you done that? Secondly, I ask you, are you living with a spirit of meekness? Are you gentle? Not weak, but gentle. Are you kind? And I ask you a third question. Are you hunger? Are you hungry and thirsty for God's righteousness? Are you partnering with him to see your life come in total alignment with the ways of his kingdom? Because that is where you're going to find real joy, a real abundant life, real happiness. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you didn't just come to forgive our sins, as amazing as that is, but you came to establish your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. What joy it will be for those of us who are going to be your subjects and who are your subjects in this kingdom. And how it is spreading as we speak in the hearts and minds of people. And one day it will spread at your return all the way so that all the kingdoms of the world will be yours. And you will renew this earth and your people will rule over it under your law. Of love, and it is going to be an amazing, amazing existence that will go on 
forever. We're so grateful that that's our future. A bit here recently, who are connected to you through faith. Lord, I pray, as I've prayed you know, quite a bit here recently, that if there's any person here that hasn't got on their knees before you in complete surrender, that they would lay their life down and find themselves being lifted and exalted by you. Lord, I also pray, too, that us here at Abundant Life, that we would be so clothed in meekness and gentleness and humility and kindness that every person that engages with us outside of these walls is able to just just think and to, to see that there's something different about us. It's like we're from another world because we are. We're from your kingdom. That's going to come. And Lord, I pray too that we, this New Year's, uh, as we think about resolutions, may we resolve to seek your kingdom first and your righteousness. Getting just the right body isn't going to lead us to, to happiness, deep soul happiness. Getting the right stuff, that's not going to do it either. Living a healthy lifestyle, that may help, but it's not going to do it either. Seeking your righteousness. Happiness is on the far side of holiness, Lord. Help us to know that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.